The Law of Equivalent Exchange. This is Tim in Tokyo reading Fullmetal Alchemist in English, published by Viz. And this is Patrick in Kumamoto reading The Art of War by Sun Tzu in <laughs> Finnish. <laughs> no, no, guys. I am reading Fullmetal Alchemist, the original in Japanese, as published by Gangan Comics, and originally published in Monthly Gangan. Yeah. Uh, and we are up to chapter 44, The Unnamed Grave. 44 is like one of my lucky numbers. Like when I get a locker number, and I think I mentioned this last time, <laughs> but when I get like a locker, it's like I go for 44s, 88s, 48s, 4s and 8s. Those are my two lucky numbers, mm. which I got from a fortune cookie back in high school. And those <laughs> have been my lucky numbers. Knowing full well that 4 is bad luck in... Chinese and Japanese because ah. it sounds just like death. So, uh, yeah. but you know, and 13 adds up one plus three, that's four. So all kinds of, all <laughs> kinds of good things in there. But, uh, what, what did you make of this, this, uh, opening splash panel? Yeah. Well, I, I had to look at it in color on the web to quite make out because it's kind of dark in black and white in the book here. But yeah, it's Ed sitting on the on a floor with his legs spread out, and Al's helmet is in front of him, and the rest of the armor is behind him, or he's leaning on it, or kind of leaning into the the hole in the top. What does this, this, you know what this said to me when I saw this image? Hmm. Ed's saying, I finally kicked his ass. <laughs> <laughs> he beat him up. Yeah, he's got a big grin on his face. And wrote, you know, wrote the sigil in blood in the floor. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like. Yeah, there is like, some kind of a mark there on the floor. What is going on with this, <laughs> with this opening art? But uh, hmm. I guess we could look at it a way as like he's happy, but he's like so, like, you know, like Muttley laugh going on. <laughs> I'm also wondering about the sign in the upper right corner. It looks like maybe it says welcome. We see W-E-L and we see, well, it looks like a gloved hand. Is it like Mickey Mouse on, on the sign? I, you know what? This is a weird, this is a weird question. Do you know if Mickey Mouse has three fingers or four fingers? Uh, yeah, usually he has three fingers and a thumb. Okay. So this this hand has a regular four fingers and a thumb. So Now, the reason I asked this and the reason I pointed I mean the reason I pointed that out, okay, is because uh, when I was trying to, you know, get work as a character designer, uh, I had a whole bunch of characters that I drew with three fingers, and I was told that is a big no-no. No three-fingered, because mm. uh, it's they're saying like uh, it brings to mind people who don't have all five fingers, and so it's like this, this can of worms they don't want to open, mm. as if the Simpsons are not full beings because they only have three fingers. It's, oh, well, those are established characters. You're nobody, so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but anyway, it was, I just, it was such a kind of, huh, moment that it stuck with me, but I couldn't quite remember if Mickey is 
three or four. Thank you for... Well, I'm checking here. Okay, well, that's not a very good picture. Um, I know he often did in the past. I'm not sure if he still does. Um, well, let's see. Yeah, the pictures I'm looking at here, yeah, he's short of finger. Short of finger? On each hand. Okay. So, but it has like, it looks like the white glove because it has the little at the bottom of the glove that part that they always do with Bugs Bunny and and Mickey Mouse that uh, Mm -hmm. wraps around Uh, and so that's why immediately yes it calls to mind that kind of old-fashioned animation so I like welcome to where to hell I mean it's (laughs) like you know it's on a it's on like a chain link fence which has been chained Mm-hmm. So not very welcoming, and plus there's just like junk and. Is that a gravestone? I it, like I mean it's kind of right like there. Rocks with pipes coming out on the left. On the right, it just looks like a stone. Yeah, but I see what you mean. That the angle of it is pretty. It looks like it's been carved or something. You might be right. That might be a a gravestone. Or, you know, this is where Ed's going to leave his brother, <laughs> abandon him, <laughs> in the trash. I don't... Yeah, so this is a very weird one. It's somehow even weirder than the last one, where the guy's racing the train <laughs> on, a, like, a guy who's never going to show up in the story. <laughs> it's right. Specific. But, of course, we know the birds hold the key to the whole thing. But. The birds, man. You got to... Okay, everybody, <laughs> look out for the birds. Okay. Speaking of the birds, so, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. We'll go there another day. There's a lot of good stuff in this one. And I have to admit that I, uh, I was brought, I was brought to, to tears in a certain point. So mm-hmm. looking forward to getting there. Okay, so we open it up and we've got, uh, we've got old liver lips. Uh, what, you know, uber ziggy, as I like to call him. Not lust, but gluttony. Gluttony. Sticking his tongue out. Guy's a sick, sick puppy. <laughs> uh, and then what do we got, Tim? Ed and Pinochle. And start out with a panel of the sun shining uh, through clouds. And they Shining uh, down on what, Tim? <laughs> the tree. The tree, yes. The tree. That, that tree that uh, burned. No leaves on it. And... They've just done their study of the the remains of the the thing that was brought forth when Ed and Al tried to get their mom's body back. That is the longest name of a character I've ever heard that you just said right there. <laughs> <laughs> the remains of the thing that Ed and Al tried to bring back when they tried to bring their mother. That is a long yes, they obviously human humanoid creature that they somehow instilled life in for a very short time right and ed wants to give it a decent burial so i mean he doesn't know what it is exactly but on that day the creature uh looked at him and he felt like it was kind of human uh so it deserves a grave so that's the uh the unnamed grave or usually we would say unmarked grave Right. Uh, well, I guess that's not quite the same thing, no. Because unmarked grave would be there, nothing, and he does put a stone there. 
with no name on it. Oh, yes. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Right. So it, it is a marked grave, but there's no name. But if the stone is just a stone, I mean, is it a marked grave? It's like there's no... I mean, yeah, you're, you're, it's like here is where the grave is. We're just not going to tell mm-hmm. you anything else about it. Right. But yeah, that that's the sadness in his eyes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's feeling responsible. He created something like the sanctity of life. And this kind of thing is, uh, you know, it's like he's not Dr. Frankenstein. Who like, I made a thing. It's alive. It's running around. And I don't like it. Out. And Dr. Frankenstein kicks out his creature. And then the thing goes out to cause him all kinds of trouble because he didn't bother to teach him right from wrong or take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And here this is him trying to take some kind of responsibility for something he created. Right. And Pinoco is th- thinking that he's using the term human too loosely to describe this thing but then she thinks if he didn't, maybe he'd have to admit that his younger brother isn't human either. I thought that was fascinating because then, like, it, this is not my area, but it's close to my area of interest. Like, the, the post-human, you know, like the uh, uh, the cybernetic human, the, like, what is, if you're made up of parts that aren't human, like if you have uh, prosthetic limbs, like how human... Are you like uh, this kind of thing is comes into the the post-humanist discourse? I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then they're talking about Al. So she she asks if human transmutation is impossible, then what about the soul that you transmuted for Al? So he just says there are still a lot of things I need to check on. Um, and he checks with her that she's absolutely sure that he and Al are ch- the children of Trisha. And she says, yeah, they're absolutely Trisha and Hohenheim's children. So the next thing he does is... Call- I, you know what? I joke with my friends sometimes about this kind of thing. And they they, they don't always like it. But, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, my, my friend said... I, you know what? I got some good news. Uh, me and my wife, we are having, uh, you know, we're having a baby. And then instead of saying who's, I, I sometimes joke and say who's the father, you know. <laughs> but instead of that, I said who's the mother. <laughs> hmm. How does that work? <laughs> exactly. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's why. That's why, to me, in my world, in my little sick world, it's hilarious. <laughs> so the next thing Al does is call. Uh, Izumi, the uh, teacher, and he mentions his discovery and then is asking her what she remembers about when she tried to transmute her child. And is she, and he prefaces by saying, you know, if, if this makes you angry, if it offends you, just hang up the phone. And so his question is, teacher, was the life that you transmuted really your child? And she thinks about it for a couple of panels, looking increasingly angry, and slams well, the phone realizing, down. Realizing what he's actually saying, I think, is mm-hmm. what that is. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of hits her, and yeah, and she slams down the phone. Yeah, feel free to hang up on me. That's almost like saying, 
I don't want to be racist, but and then say the absolute (laughs) most racist worst thing. So then Ed and Pinoco are at Winry's parents' grave, which is, um, yeah, he her father was the son of Pinoco, and he tells her that what he found out that they had saved a lot of lives on the battlefield, which makes her proud, and she then. She says, I don't suppose they told you how they died. And, of course, they did, but he says no. They didn't say, because he doesn't want to tell her that. It's Mm. too unpleasant. So, obviously, they're doing the graves. Uh, It looks like it's kind of a, a mix between the Eastern and the Western, because, you know, it's it's a headstone, which is very Western, but it's like a very small plot which means it's they've probably been cremated no or is it just Mm. this particular grave that's tiny i don't think so yeah i don't know i've heard there's such a thing as putting putting the casket in vertically oh um that seems like a lot of work for the person having to dig (laughs) (laughs) yeah they'd have to be a pretty deep hole right Um, and you couldn't like get in there and, you know, you can't really, you don't have much movement in there. You'd have to do it by a machine, I think. Mm-hmm, Wait, mm-hmm. okay, now I'm going to ask you something personal and feel free to to hang up on me. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast uh, may end in a few seconds. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so have you decided, like, what you're going to do with your own Ooh. remains after you yeah, pass? Because like, no, we both I live in not. Japan. Mm-hmm. It's something that we kind of have to... Like, what if something happens? Mm-hmm. Would you want your remains? What would you want? And you, and you don't have to answer this question. You could say, well, I don't have them. You know, but I just think that, yeah, that we're here I this. Know. I have a... Because, because I, I took my wife's name as part of my name, right? Mm-hmm. But I haven't been, like, officially adopted or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I still am, like, the head of my family the the japanese style where you know mm-hmm. when the wife get marries into another family that's another family right yeah but uh, but i've been given the choice like if you want to have your ashes in our family grave uh the parents said feel free we we you know we uh wouldn't bother us at all we'd we'd love to have you and if your parents want to be in there too, sure, come on, <laughs> the more the merrier. And I was like, even if I didn't take them up on that, that for me, I felt that was a very, very uh, sweet thing. Hmm. You know, because if I was going to have to build my own, metal, you know, build my own stone thing, a mini mausoleum, which is basically what those graves are, uh, here, that's quite a chunk of money. I'd have to, you mm-hmm. know... Yeah, but I mean, if we're all in one place, and my daughter is the one who's going to have to take care of it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, then she could do it all in one place, you know, not right. have her running all over the place. So. Well, yeah, I don't know, but <laughs> I don't really want to fill up the podcast with that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's just that I thought it was this, you know, it's relevant somehow. Yeah, it's this Japanese funerary rites. Okay. Yeah, so then Pinoco brings up that, I don't know why she didn't think of this earlier, but Trisha's last wish 
she wanted Pinocchio to tell Hohenheim that she couldn't keep her promise to him and that she's sorry. Do you, the promise is that isn't I thought the promise is the fact that she died before. I assumed that was the case. I'll be passing on before him and please tell him that I'm sorry. But right? then Ed says, promise? What promise? And Pinocchio says, I don't know. Now I've told okay. you, so you tell Hohenheim. Now, does so that it, reflect the Japanese accurately? That's what he's... That's I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying, yakusoku? Nan no. And she's saying, sa, like, I don't know. Mm, but mm. Uh, the way that it's written, like you just said, mm-hmm. she's like, I'll be going ahead of you. Yeah. And I'm sorry. So, to me, this is something that I've heard a bunch of times. Is like, uh, you know... Uh, people talk about you know i don't want to go first or i do want to go first so i don't have Mm -hmm. to deal with the sadness of losing you i've heard this a lot Mm -hmm. uh among you know like married couples talking about this kind of thing and so it's to me it just made perfect sense that that's what the promise was yeah i think i remember that john lennon said to yoko ono that he wanted to go first because he couldn't be without her Mm. so he ended up going way too much before her but yeah, I'm sure I could have loaded up some dark joke for that, but I decided <laughs> against it. It's uh, a very he, solid chapter. He probably Jim. would have appreciated, Lennon probably would have appreciated the dark joke. <laughs> yeah, he had a, a very singular humor. <laughs> I can imagine him coming up with one himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Talking in that Manchester way, man. <laughs> So, yeah, that's what I think it is. And, and then there's uh, some dissing of Hohenheim here. And <laughs> then Ed wants to get back to Al. and so, so that he can chew me out, he says. Because Ed takes responsibility for everything. Takes blame right. that may not belong to him. Right. He just, like, everything carries the whole world mm-hmm. on his shoulders. And he gets in and sees Win-Win. Yeah, Maybe. so we we go back to the hotel, and uh, Winry is on the phone at the desk talking to Mr. Garfield, who we haven't seen in quite a while. Uh, her boss, I'd kind of forgotten that he was her boss. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's saying that Ed hasn't returned with the money, so we can't leave the hotel. And Mr. Garfield is steamed about that. The nerve, what yeah, kind of man like, makes a girl worry yeah. about money? Which is very, very, like, gender role much. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, and then, now, of course, Mr. Garfield is, to say the least, effeminate. Yes. Uh, and Trans asterisk, as Jack Halberstam says. You know? <laughs> uh, and so his, he says in English to Winry, when he comes back, girlfriend, you milk him for everything he's got. So I'm wondering what that was in Japanese. Uh, the first panel, of the next page, where Winry's on the phone and sweating. Well, basically the same thing. They're, they keep calling him Kanezuru, like uh, like a Mark almost, you know, mm. like a, a sugar daddy. <laughs> it's like you know, and even the like the hotel guy, when when he comes back, he's like, "There's the sugar daddy. He's here. He is, you know, like finally." Mister Garfield calling Winry girlfriend. I'm wondering oh, oh, what that oh. what that came from in Japanese, or if there was anything. Yeah, there's no, 
there's no mention. They they put that in to give uh, to give Garfield's you know personality some character. I think a yeah. certain kind of character to make it clear. Okay. Yeah, it's not in there. He's just direct. But it says take everything, like basically take even the ass hairs. It says shiri no ke made. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, it does not say that in the English. It does not say that in English. <laughs> take him, you know, take him for all he's worth, including the ass hairs, which I've never heard that phrase before. <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask somebody about this because is that a thing? I wonder. And uh, do they have a service for getting rid of ass hair? That's what <laughs> they probably do. You know, a lot of a lot of the. Never mind. Let's let's move on. <laughs> Hmm, I crave superheroic content. Let's see what's on. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Mm, nah, don't think so. I'm Batman. Mm, not really what I'm looking for. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. Ugh, absolutely not. This is Robin the Boy Wonder. I'm Batman. Aha, now that's more like it. If you see Adam West as the one true Batman, then this is the podcast for you. Tune in every other Thursday on your favorite podcast source to hear Tim and Paul discuss the 1966 series and everything connected with it. What's the podcast called? To the Batpoles. To the Batpoles. To the Batpoles. So just as she's getting off the phone, uh, Ed comes back, and Winry tears gushing out of her eyes, saying, "You idiot!" And she uh, shoves him upstairs to see Al. Um, well, before that, he says, "But what? Don't don't hit me! Like I didn't break my <laughs> I didn't break my auto mail this time." Yeah, she says, "That's not it. Just hurry up and go see Al, uh, because you know Al's armor damage." So I had to check back. Ed and Al have been apart since chapter 37. Dang. <laughs> when, That's uh, seven months in, in gun, monthly gun gun time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when Armstrong dragged Ed off uh, to the east, you know, that was the last time they'd seen each other. Like, you know, like, and this is just this group getting together, but like, when the whole gang gets together in a story, like that's ah, that feels so good. It's like mm. my favorite part. But this mm. isn't quite that. But like, like in Stranger Things, you've got three different layers of story with three different ages of people, and when they like kind of start working together, it's like mm. oh yeah, the gang's together. You know, like that's <laughs> that's my favorite part. And then when Ed sees Al, his mouth is huge as he says what <laughs> is this i mean you could fit a head in his mouth it's his mouth is bigger than the rest of his head with huge uvula in the back and tongue and uh jagged teeth you're all busted ah what kind of trouble have you been getting into while i've been gone uh, and then he looks over and sees that lean and lanfan are chowing down they've got a table just full of plates of food now, Lean, I get, but this is the first time we see Lumphon. <laughs> I feel it's the first time where we see her with this kind of humorous attitude where mm. she's pigging out. Yeah. 
what the heck are you two doing here? Lean says, what's it look like? We're eating. Next panel, they're getting kicked out of the room. Just Ed's foot sticking out the door. and, and the- Well, you realize, like, he's the one paying for the food and the Sure, room. sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love how Lean and Lanfan are just kind of tumbling out the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still with, like, food bones hanging out. Yeah, so there's hardly a chapter that doesn't have a little bit of humor in it. I think I'd be worried if there was. (laughs) Yeah. So he's got to spread the armor out thinner if he wants to... Yeah, to fix it with alchemy. And Al fills him in on what's been happening with the homunculi and Barry the Chopper. Um, And then Ed brings up the identity or mistaken identity of the thing that that uh, they thought was mom. And based on that, Ed's convinced that Al can be returned to his normal body. Now, I don't... It surprises me a little bit because I thought that that was never in question, <laughs> whether it was possible or not. Maybe just because I've read the whole thing before. <laughs> well, no, no, because we don't, like... We don't actually know, like, from what that substance of of his body is that like something some other substance that has to be formed and then the soul gets put into it or is it the actual body itself you know mm. so like you know it's it's kind of a philosophical argument i think but mm. uh but now we know that there has to be that physical thing that you know still existing somehow even if it's in a, a different form, but the the actual the original the original thing that was his body uh, must somehow somewhere still exist. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean that's what we find right. out. Right, that's that's what they get into in the next few pages. Even though it was kind of explaining, I was like, oh, I'm glad I get this because mm-hmm. <laughs> when some of these. When some of these comics get caught up in their own systems, like system mm. of magic or system uh-huh. of fighting or something like this, mm-hmm. I just like snooze. Uh, but yeah, this that was, was when I lost interest in One Punch Man. That's that's where I lost like Hunter Hunter when they like they really basically the guy was designing a game. That's what it felt like, you know. <laughs> and he had all the game system, the rule systems. I don't give one flip about you know that kind of thing i want the story <laughs> you know <laughs> that that's the thing that you can keep in your bible for you when you mm-hmm. are writing the story mm-hmm. so that it makes logical sense and then people can write you know papers about it trying to figure out what that system is later but mm-hmm. yeah. i don't need a whole chapter <laughs> talking about <laughs> or the whole rest of the series yeah um but yeah we get some comedy again because he's making sure that Al remembers things that Ed wouldn't know about from before he was in the armor. And Al and Winry remember some like tricks they played on Ed um, or things that they did to him when he was sleeping. And some of the words are, <laughs> are smudged out. So you can't see exactly what they did. You can't, but like my imagination, you know yeah, yeah. me, Tim. Mm-hmm. I, it goes to some pretty weird places. 
Hey, so, remember when we weren't to Ed with a worm while he was asleep? Uh-huh. And then there was that time we weren't Big Brothers while he was... <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple things came to mind, like the one episode of South Park with uh, that... Y'all look it up. So, <laughs> with the sleeping butters. Uh, but hmm. uh, I, I, I imagine things like markers were used somehow. That's what I... Yeah. That seems to be a, a typical gag, mm-hmm. a prank. Yeah. But since uh, Al remembers things like that that Ed couldn't have known about, so it couldn't... Those memories could not have come from Ed when he brought Al's spirit back, or his uh, soul, and... Because Al also is storing somehow storing memories of things that have happened since he got into the armor, that means that Al's body is alive somewhere else. Yeah, and the his brain, brain is, is still, still functioning. recording those mm-hmm. memories, and he's he's like this kind of like separate conduit that's still connected yeah. to it. And Al realizes that's similar to what happened with Barry the Chopper, that his body was still kind of alive. <laughs> Yeah, kind of functioning, but he was also bound to that that uh, weird armor. Exactly. Yeah, it's this is this is kind of one of those things uh, that they use in science fiction movies with uh, shape changers. You know, like this is how you how we can tell if it's really the real me and not a, a copy or a fake. Hmm. Is like the you know where did we meet on that mm-hmm. night and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Yeah. It's yeah. the like in Blade Runner, you know, when uh, Rick Deckard knows a memory of Rachel's that uh, there's no way he should have known mm. uh, about when she was little and the spider was born and all the babies ate the mommy. And it's been a long time since I watched that movie. You don't watch that once a year, Tim? No. Shame on you. <laughs> shame, shame, shame. But yeah, so unlike their mom... Al, rather than being dead, he, he was taken by the truth. Mm. Absconded. I like that. Absconded. And Al remembers that the hand that he saw reaching out to him, it wasn't their mom's hand. It was his his own hand. And we, you know, we kind of saw that in that flashback that was kind of confusing, <laughs> I remember, because we didn't see both owls in one panel so it was yeah it was a bit a bit puzzling we had to think about that but then the weird thing was that owls mind was temporarily in the thing that they thought was mom because he remembers seeing bleeding ed through the eyes of that thing but and ed says it was luck that during the tragic incident your soul wasn't bound to that thing yeah, so just kind of like what it was, his mind was temporarily in that thing. How, why did that happen? So I, maybe the soul was like free floating, you know, mm-hmm. and just looking for something to attach to until Ed goes, "No, over here," <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, attaches it to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, they speculate that the thing must have rejected his soul. Yeah, so yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> a lot of stuff to <laughs> kind of digest to consider. But they come yeah, they come up to some other revelations, right? Uh, yeah. They get a call he gets they a, get call. a call yeah, from Izumi. And uh 
she's put together that, yeah, that could not have been their child because of the hair and skin color. Genetically, it could not have come from her and her husband. So, and yeah, Ed says, yeah, definitely. The, the people who are dead can never return. That's the conclusion I've come to. And she thanks him, and he doesn't really understand why. We see a few pages later when she's telling her husband about it, so we'll get to that. Ed and Al are feeling better in a way because they had both been, of course, blaming themselves. Uh, Al is saying, I thought Mom was turned into that thing because of me. Right. If I hadn't done something wrong, Mom would be alive and we'd still be normal. That's what I thought. And Ed says, I blamed myself, too. Now, just to to step back just a, a moment from that seriousness, the panel on the stairs, hmm. it's just the fact that they're about the same height because he's up on the stairs. I don't, <laughs> that, for some reason, they just made me chuckle. Yeah, Ed is one, two, three, four steps up. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, his head is at almost the same level as Al's armor head. Gotta have, hmm. Gotta have the height jokes. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, he said it was something he was afraid of, but he couldn't say that uh, he thought that maybe he had somehow, he was responsible for killing the thing uh, and making it in the way it was, making it the way it was and then killing it. Uh, You know, Al feels that he might have been, that is Al saying that, right? Yeah, there are a few word balloons that are on the other side of the panel, but there's no pointer, which I think indicates that it's yeah, it's Al it's Al continuing to talk. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's so they have all these things that they've been, you know, they've both been kind of keeping inside, and then it's it's actually being able to find the truth, you know, because if they would have said these things out loud when there there's no way to prove it one way or another, it's just gonna you know, be awkward, I suppose. But now that they know for sure uh, from their, you know, logical, their their reasoning, uh, able to kind of take these horrible feelings out, let them air out and stomp them into the dust. And then that's kind of what the teacher's talking about too, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Izumi-sensei is she's kind of, you know, finally able to put some feelings to rest. Right. She says, I feel like a great weight has been lifted from my soul. I didn't cause my child to die a second time. Mm. Um, But she's saying she deserved her punishment, you know, losing those uh, bodily organs uh, to the truth because of her attempt to bring back the baby. Mm. And talking about Ed, you know, he... She says he lost the leg he needed to stand on his own, which is clearly double meaning. Hmm. Um, her husband says, but Ed did get back on his feet. She says, that's true. That boy may have what it takes to defeat the truth one day. Hmm. Feels like foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But but I like that she says, like what we are always talking about, right? She says the truth or the the truth is cruel, but it's correct. And I mean, mm. I think that's kind of like, you know, what she's talking about, what we're always saying about the law of equivalent mm-hmm. exchange. It's like, it's not, it's not fair, but it, you know, it's, it follows its own very whole. Well, uh, maybe not nice, but it's hard, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Cold, hard logic, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ed and Al continue to talk it through on the stairs and, uh, 
Al's talking about how he, how he's dealt with being in this body, and after meeting like Barry the Chopper and the uh, Chimeras and uh, this one homunculus that whose name I've forgotten <laughs> that he shows up in the panel. Oh yeah, the one who was okay. killed by Bradley. Yeah, a couple I like. Yeah, I like the I like the that set of homunculi. Well, know? they were those were the Chimeras, right? Um, the Chimeras, the Chimeras. Yeah, those three. Right. But then also, uh, sorry, folks, we're getting old and we can't remember names. <laughs> Are you talking about greed? Yes. Okay. Um, and if I look, looked back in my notes here, I could probably find the the names of the Chimeras too, because I I always had to write them. Oh, here they are: Dorshit, Martell, and Loa, because I forgot them every time we needed to talk about them. So. And Dorset's the dog, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and Martell is the woman. Right. Yeah. And Loa is basically Logan. <laughs> <laughs> Snicked. <laughs> So, but he realized that even though they weren't really human, uh, they still managed to find meaning in their existence. That they made me realize that I can still live a full life. Um, and he also realized that his existence is really no more fragile than a normal human's, because you know we could any anyone die in an accident or whatever at any time, basically. Yeah, that. And I don't know why this it calls back to what we were talking about right before we press the record button. It's like, uh, uh, you know, we were talking about some negative experiences that we've had in this country. But it's like, yes, and we've had negative experiences at every country we've been to. You know, it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, okay, it's not a good metaphor. <laughs> but, it's, but I mean, yeah, that's the point. It's like you get what you get. You don't. You don't know what you're gonna get. Even if he goes back to a normal human body, he could get run over by one mm. of those T model jalopies going three miles an hour. It could happen. Mm. So what you're saying is, or by a a horse going sixty million miles an hour. What you're saying is, life is like a box of chocolates because you never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> I guess if some of those chocolates have like hand grenades in them. <laughs> right. Oh boy. <laughs> Happiness is a warm puppy. Oh, the puppy peed. That's why it's warm. Oh no. Hmm. Okay. So they're saying there's no more time to sit around and mope. We've got to track down that bastard truth and pull your body back from that place. And so Ed and Elle are going back to their room. Winry's been kind of waiting at the top of the stairs. And so she follows them down the hall and notices Ed from the back and says, when did he get such broad shoulders? Oh, no, you're not. That's not supposed to be it. That's not supposed to be it. It's supposed to be. I mean, yeah, he, she does say broad shoulders. But what, like, what I'm getting is like, you know, they're talking about one of the memories that he doesn't have is when uh, both... Ed and Al ask Winry, like, so which one are you going to marry? Uh-huh. And she said, neither. I don't, I don't want to date or I don't want to marry anybody shorter than me. <laughs> right, yeah, I guess we missed that some pages ago. Yeah, and so when, when she notices that his shoulders are getting broader, I was thinking, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, you know, I think this is kind of a, a little bit of a, a sideways callback to that. Mm-hmm. 
But as you were noting, he's still pretty short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's also like, uh, what did you think about uh, Al's line here? He says he doesn't want to spend any more lonely nights or nights alone. I don't know what it is in English, but it's... I don't want to spend my nights awake and alone anymore. Yeah. Okay. I just, for me, it's that Paul McCartney song. Or is, I don't Maybe it's Wings. Or as we said um, in Georgia, Wangs. No, it was it was after Wings. Yeah, it was okay. One of his early solo albums in the eighties. Paul and Linda. Paul and Linda. I think. No more lonely oh, that was, nights. That was uh, Broad Street. Give my regards to Broad Street, the movie that got panned by the critics. I never saw it, but well, that 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 song, that song changed my life. Hmm. Like it was when I was fifteen, and that song came on. I was like, "That's right, no more lonely nights." And I was like, "I." From that, the next day, I stopped like trying to dress like the cool kids, hmm. and I stopped trying to like be accepted by this group that you know I don't really really care about. And I just started wearing my own weird stuff, and I cut my hair in a weird way, and I was like, "I'm just going to be me," and life changed from that moment on it was it was a huge huge change in like how hmm. uh in my own like personal happiness you know just like so i love this line i love this panel when he say i'm not gonna no more lonely nights for me and, right uh, that's the only reason i want to return to normal i want my original body back yeah and that's a great reason and by the way, we've now talked about two Beatles in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. We got to work Ringo in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, somehow. <laughs> you know, every every time somebody tweets one of those, "What's your favorite underrated movie?" Like I always put Ringo Starr's Caveman. Of course, <laughs> always put that. You know, I love that. I've seen that movie like fifty times because it's great for uh, teaching. Uh, like language, like because they have this caveman language, and that's the only language, except for one character. That's the only language they speak in the film. And by the end of the film, you're fluent in caveman. <laughs> you know, I love that. That's a great movie for like linguistics. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Hmm. So then we're at the hospital, uh, where Mustang is still an inpatient, and Hawkeye is there, and Breda, and you know, Breda has come back from his failed attempt to get Dr. Marco and they're figuring out that he was probably impersonated by one of the homunculi who's a shapeshifter. Mm -hmm. um, and, but Breda's now used up his vacation days on this errand, so he can't move around as freely. Uh, and they're going back towards uh, the room where Havoc is well, and here's proof that Braid is not Japanese because he uses up his vacation days. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so there's a crying woman coming out of Havoc's room with a military guy. And he says that that was his mother and someone from the discharge office. They're going to discharge him because of his injury. And Breda and Mustang are saying, you know, what are you going to do as a civilian? And we're not sure that you can't be cured, but uh, Havoc is seems to be kind of depressed. He's just saying, forget about me. I'm no good anymore. I can't get out of bed by myself. Well, he's basically saying, you know, like, 
you know, he's like those guys in the movies who said, like, go on without me. You know, I, I'm just holding you back, you know, because mm-hmm. he wants... He wants to be able to like not have to try anymore if if they can just say like if everybody gives up on him and then he can just you know go on feeling mm. sorry for himself mm. and i liked how mustang responded saying i'll leave oh, you behind yeah. to make sure you have someone to catch up with i'm moving on see you at the top well but there's i mean i think you have to read it like with the pause because he's like you're reading the panel and it says all right i'm leaving you bye and basically and then he says, you catch up. All right? Mm-hmm. And in, so, like, I read th- that pause in there, I think it's is Im- super important. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was like, what? <laughs> and then I was like, oh. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> and after he leaves, uh, Hawkeye mentions the time in that battle with the homunculi that she had given up on life, and uh, Mustang's not capable of giving up on anyone. Yeah, that's that's uh, that really that that really got me. This scene, yeah, it's a good <laughs> scene, and and I love this panel that I was thinking, hey, is that from Street Fighter? Because that looks like Ken and you. <laughs> I thought that was. <laughs> and Mustang asks Hawkeye to bring his uniform. She says, "You're still no condition to check out of here," but he says, "Just bring it." So he doesn't want to be confined to the hospital anymore, I guess. Mm. Uh, and then we see Armstrong somewhere, <laughs> maybe back at Central. Stride, stride, stride. He's walking down the hall. He's walking down the hall, and they can't even contain his hugeness in the panel. So it has to <laughs> stick up from the top of the panel. Yeah. And Sergeant Bross shows up. Major, are you back from your vacation? And... Armstrong remembers Maria Ross saying everything shows on the sergeant's face, so please don't tell him that she's alive. So he just says, the East was full of beautiful women. (laughs) So kind of carrying on uh, Mustang's code. Um, And then a notice comes in, or I guess Brosh was carrying the notice, that Scar is back, and he's been killing more state alchemists. And on the last page, there's a military leaders meeting and Bradley is there saying, so you plan to stand in our way once again, Scar. Mm. Yeah, so that's it. So, And of course, the next chapter is appropriately called Scar's Return. <laughs> Scar's Return, Revenge of the Scar. So where's Yoki? <laughs> They were hanging out together. Oh yes, he he's there on the, the first page of the next chapter. Right, like so, like with these, like I never know when the chapter actually ends, you know, because and so I start reading the next chapter, and then it, uh-huh. I come to a title page. And I'm like, oh, okay, I've got to rewind because the title page is always like two or three pages in, and so I was like, wow, this is a long chapter. <laughs> it's like, nope, I was, and then the, there's Yoki. Yeah, so. mm. Well, even without that, it's a pretty long chapter. Yeah. Um, in this yes. three-in-one edition, it starts on... The title page is on page 279, and the last page is 326. So it's about 50 pages, almost 50 pages. I did, though, easily find my favorite sound effect. Okay. And that's when that's when Ed is kicking the... Mm. Doka. The, the gluttonous to... <laughs> out, of, out of the hotel room, you know? 
とか。Yeah, well, actually, I was kind of thinking of that same panel because there's not a lot to choose from in this chapter. Um, and certainly not much in the way of originality, although I kind of like stride, stride, stride. But <laughs> yeah, in that kicking panel, it's Thok, which, you know, you've seen Thok elsewhere before, but I liked it as a choice for that panel. Yeah, yeah. Thok, Thok. Thok is good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a quality panel all around. What I, what I, uh, readers, listeners, uh, so we're accepting, uh, we're accepting applications for people who want to name the, put a name on the gravestone on page 94. So if you have an idea for what to name the massive bones that we've been calling the mom that wasn't the mom that we thought was the mom, it's not the mom, but it was another thing that looked like the mom, but wasn't actually the mom, which is the official name. Uh, so... <laughs> Just call 1-800. 1-800-IT'S-NOT-MOM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was... Did you did you call during the death in the family, the Batman? Did you call, like, should Jason live or die? Uh, I, I was never really a Batman reader. I was just a Batman 66 viewer. <laughs> I thought that was... I was not... I Like, I wasn't reading Batman at that time, but when they... You know, when I saw that, like, if you want Jason Todd, the second Robin, to bite the dust, call this number. And if you don't want him to, call this number. And, of course, these are all pay numbers, you know. Oh. Uh, I just thought that was the tackiest thing. <laughs> I just thought it was, don't let, don't let, you know, these unwashed masses choose. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, I happen to be one of those unwashed masses, and I know how sick we can get. So, okay. Anyway, so that's chapter forty-four, and you know what they say: the law of equivalent exchange means. You know, I, I think I know what they say, Tim. What's that? I've been looking it up, and uh, I believe it's that you get what you pay for. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was that another Beatles reference? That's yes, it was. <laughs> so Tim, I'm I'm leaving you, and uh, I want you to catch up. <laughs> All right, y'all be good. Okay, see you next time. Next time. Our theme is Winterfiend by Cryosyncope. You can follow us on Twitter at LOEE Podcast or email us at LOEE Podcast at DeconstructingComics.com. Support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash deconcomics. See you in two weeks. The Law of Equivalent Exchange is a production of DeconstructingComics.com. I'm clicking. I'm clicking it. Tim, I clicked it. Okay, so did I. It is clicked. <clears throat> the Law of Equivalent Exchange. This is Tim in Tokyo reading the English... Uh, <laughs> Why don't we do that again? <laughs> I always know generally what I'm going to say, but not exactly what I'm going to say. So You're brave, though. You jump right in. <laughs> the Law of Equivalent Exchange. So we open it up. Yeah, Kumar's just we... sending me a file. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unexpectedly.